Well, Friday night, we had a worship service here, healing service. It was great. It was a great time. And uh, I happened to be the last one out. And as I so often do, then I start remembering all the things. Oops, did somebody turn off the back amplifiers in the back room behind that wall? And I go do that. And I went into my office and I made sure I put my Bible and put my notes that I wanted to work on for my sermon so I could get up Saturday morning and work at home. And, and uh, then I remembered I... I didn't have my keys, so I had to lock that door from the inside and go out that door. And then I got over there, and then I remembered I really needed to go to the bathroom. <laughs> it's only a mile home, but that was too far. And then I went out, and I got in the car and went home. And I turned around and reached over for my Bible, and it's not there. Oh, great. So I figured, well, I'll get up in the morning and go get my Bible. So I drive over to church, and as I have to do, I have to process, because it wasn't in my office. Imagine that, those of you that know. So I'm trying to, okay, let's see. I went to the back room, so I went to look back there. Nope, I didn't lay it in the Sunday school room. I didn't put it in there. I looked at all the chairs in here. It wasn't on a chair in here. And well, that's right, I went out in the kitchen, and I thought maybe i put it on the counter. It wasn't there. Then I remembered, oh yeah, I had to go to the bathroom. So I went and looked in the bathroom, and it wasn't there. And I'm standing there thinking, who stole my Bible? <laughs> Next was to blame my wife. <laughs> and then I'm standing in the foyer trying to rehash, where else did I go? What else did I do? And there, there my Bible was, right on the shelf by Cindy's window going into her office, just as big as could be, so I wouldn't forget that, to pick it up. <laughs> now, <clears throat> I don't know, pretend to know everything about all of you here. But I do think I know something about every one of us here. And just like me looking for my Bible, you know why I didn't find my Bible right away? I didn't look in the right place. Bible wasn't going anywhere. It was just waiting for me to go find it and pick it up. I think that one of the things that every single one of us in this room want is the joy of the Lord. We want joy in our lives. Our life is tough. It's complicated. There's tons of issues. There's always trials and testings going on in our life. There's always things that are happening. And it's easy, easy to all of a sudden give in to those feelings of oppression or depression or fear or anxiety. And we want joy in our life. Really, joy isn't just an add-on to the Christian life. It's just not one of those little things that, oh, we get to have that too. Really, when we look at joy in the life of a Christian, it is an absolute necessity. And I'm going to explain why in a little while. The title of my sermon is How to Have the Fullness of Joy. And before we talk about how to have it, we're going to look at a few other things about the joy first. You know, if we're a Christian, and it's a necessity that we have the joy of the Lord, it ought to be obvious and contagious in our life. Is your joy obvious? And is your joy contagious? Do you have to keep shooing a people away from you like flies because they want to be around your joy? Or do you have to look around and say, please, somebody come, I can't be that bad. You know, I read one guy's comment, a quote that he made about joy. He says, there's Christians, they walk around with a Bible in one hand and it's like they're carrying a tombstone in the other. 
Who wants to hang around with those people? The text I'm going to look at primarily today is in John 15, chapter 11. This verse reads simply this way. Jesus is speaking, and he says, These things I have spoken to you, so that my joy may be in you, and then your joy may be made full. That my joy may be in you, and that your joy be made full. Before we look at how to have the fullness of joy, we're going to look at why it's so important. Why I said it's a necessity in a Christian life. And the first thing that comes to mind is it is a necessity, it is necessary, it's advantageous in winning souls, in evangelizing and sharing your faith. I mean, think about it. Somebody comes up to you and, and shares the gospel message with you and you look at them and it looks like their dog just died, their best friend just kicked them out and their wife hates them and life stinks. And you hurry up and say, gee, I want to be just like you. Of course not. The joy of the Lord is an attribute that, should be very, that is very effective in drawing people to the gospel message. If you're not a joyful Christian, you're not going to be a great soul winner for God. And it's not about how many we win. That's not it. It's not a scorecard thing. But that's what we're called to do. We're called to be witnesses. We're called to make disciples. And part of that, that attractiveness of the gospel is what it looks like through a Christian. The joy of the Lord in a Christian's life. Psalms 51 I'm going to read a couple verses there, but just a, a smidget of background. David writes this psalm, and if you know the story of David, he was king, he was a, a man who was after God, but he had messed up big time. He had lusted after a woman who was married to another man. He had her come over and as king, he took advantage of her. He had the husband murdered to cover up his sin. It cost him the child, the first child. And it cost him something else. And we see in Psalms 51 where David is finally repenting of the adultery and the murder and the sin that he allowed into his life. And in Psalm 51, verses 12 and 13, he is crying out to God for something that he had lost because of his disobedience to the Lord. And in verse 12 it says, Restore to me the joy of my salvation. He'd lost his joy. He'd lost the joy of the Lord, the disobedience, the sin in his life until he's repented of it. He's repenting. He's crying out to God. And he says, Restore to me the joy of my salvation. And sustain me with the willing spirit. As I repent and use your joy of my salvation, your joy returns to my life, that my spirit might get back in a right place, and I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will be converted to you. Restore my joy that I might get back in the right place, that I can go to people who need to know Jesus, and that they might be converted to you. His joy needed to be returned, and he knew it, and he understood it. Boy, I know, I know I've said this so many times, but I just love being around people who have that inner joy. 
that no matter what goes on, that they're not happy all the time. Don't get me wrong. Sadness can come. Things happen. But it's quickly replaced by that inner joy of the Lord that's there, that's our rock. Do others see the joy of the Lord in you? Do they see it in me? We need to ask ourselves regularly. Joy is important when it comes to winning others to Christ. It's also essential if we're going to be able to bear the burdens of our life. You know, just because we become Christian doesn't mean we don't have burdens and things happen. And we have a choice when those things happen. What are we going to do? Are we going to choose to respond in despair? Or are we going to choose to respond in the joy of the Lord? It's not natural happiness because it can't be. When some of those burdens come, there's nothing to be naturally happy about. But the joy of the Lord that is in us sustains us through those burdens. And we actually need the joy of the Lord simply to live out the Christian life. You know, I tell people this quite often. Getting saved and becoming a Christian is really pretty easy if we just respond to God's wooing. We repent and accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and surrender our life to Him. He did all the work at Calvary. He died that we might be saved. We just believe by faith. We receive His grace. But you know what? Living the Christian life is hard work. It's hard to live a Christian life. Especially if we're trying to do it in our own strength. It's impossible in our own strength. It's hard enough when we're allowing the joy of the Lord to be preeminent in us, remembering who He is and what He has done. In Nehemiah 8.10, this was actually going to be my title that you see in the bulletin. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Boy, I cry out for strength. I'm sure you cry out for strength. Do you realize as we're crying out, Lord, give me your strength. What you're really saying is, Lord, the joy of the Lord. We need to be like, like David. God, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. It's why it's so important. Notice back in that verse, 1511 of John, how it says, These things I have spoken to you so that my joy... It's a very specific, special kind of joy. It's His joy. That your joy may be in me. That your joy may fill me. It's His joy that's our strength as it's in us. It's not just any joy. What is the joy of the Lord like? Let me give you some the, the uh, three A's. How's that? Triple A of the joy of the Lord. It's abounding it's abiding and it's abundant. But very quickly, the joy of the Lord is abounding. He says that your joy might be full. There's plenty of it if it's His joy. When the circumstances of the world, the trials, the tests, the burdens come, if it's a natural joy, it's just going to leak right out of us. It's just going to be gone. But if it's truly His joy, and once we understand more clearly what His joy really is, what is the joy of Jesus? Once we understand that, it's His joy in us. It's something that doesn't change. It doesn't change with circumstance, situations. 
Let me just share something about this supernatural joy, and I'm going to just go through four verses really quick that won't be on the screen, but in Hebrews 1.9 it says this, You have loved righteousness, hated wickedness. Therefore God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. There's an anointing of his joy. In Jude verse 24, To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. With great joy. John 17, 13, I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full, that you may have the full measure of my joy within you. He wants the full measure of his joy in his children. He knows it's a necessity in our life. And in Philippians 4.4, 4, short verse, it simply says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Always. Always. It's an abiding joy. It's not just an abounding joy. It abides in us. He says that my joy might remain in you. You know, it's easy sometimes to put on that happy face as long as everything's going well in our life. But I don't know about you, it doesn't last very long in my world. Something goes amiss really quickly, regularly, every day. And if, if my joy is something that is only there under good situations, good circumstances, if it's only there occasionally when my, my world's right in my eyes, I'm in trouble. But his joy is there in the good times, it's in the bad times. It doesn't matter what's going on externally. A stormy day, a sunny day in our life, it doesn't matter. The joy of the Lord is there. He says rejoice always. Now, I want if you would go back and you look in the Gospel of John, Jesus is telling the disciples this, rejoice always. And again I say rejoice. Shortly before, he's going to face betrayal by Judas. He's going to be face being arrested on phony trumped up charges. He's going to face getting beating to a bloody, bloody mess so he wasn't even recognizable. And he's going to face being nailed to a cross. And this is his teaching. Rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. Rejoice in all things. Always rejoice. That is a supernatural joy that you and I cannot muster up in ourselves, no matter how good a day we've got. It's impossible. When sorrow comes, what happens? Does our joy slowly wither away? Or does it remain steadfast? In John 16, 20, it says, Truly, truly, I say to you that you will weep and you will lament, but the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will be turned into joy. When tribulation comes, in 2 Corinthians 7, 4, it says, Great is my confidence in you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. I am filled with comfort. I am overflowing with joy in all of our afflictions. When tribulation and afflictions come, we can triumph over them in the joy of the Lord. Anybody face any afflictions? Anybody struggling with something that's just stealing your joy, it's stealing your hope, stealing your fear, stealing your joy, giving you fear? 
little sidebar. I just want to thank you and encourage you. When we have people come forward to pray and receive prayer, we're praying for sometimes, it's not a big deal maybe, but other times what's being prayed for up here is life-altering circumstances. Life-altering. And your prayers and your worship and your focus is so appreciated because it happens. The world has an enemy in it that's trying to steal our joy. He's trying to steal our joy. He's trying to steal the joy of the Lord because he knows how effective it is in overcoming the attack of the enemy. He wants to steal our joy because then he's got us. He can start putting the screws to us. That's why it happens. In tribulation, lasting and lost, for you showed sympathy in Hebrews 10.34, for you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of all your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. Gives you a hint of what the joy of the Lord is. What if you went home and you discovered everything you owned was burned up in fire? And you didn't have a dime's worth of insurance. Where would your joy be? The joy of the Lord sustains us in times of loss like that. And the inflict- in, uh, in affliction in 1 Thessalonians 1.6, it says, You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. When you read these things in the Bible, sometimes it's easy to to slip into that mindset that you're just reading kind of a story and you forget these are real people who had real lives and were facing real problems just like we face, tribulations like we face, way worse actually, and yet we're seeing, praise God, I thank God for you. You, you, you remained in all of your tribulation joyful. You lost everything, but you were joyful. When affliction came, you were joyful. The joy of the Lord, it's supernatural. And it's abundant. It's not just abounding and abiding, it's abundant that your joy may be full. Ask yourself this, how deep does your joy go? How deep does your joy go? When things start going wrong, when your world starts to look like it's collapsing, How deep is your joy? You know, it's okay to feel sad for a time. It's okay to to get concerned. We're, We're human beings. God gets that. But those things cannot and should not ever consume our thoughts, our mind. Because that joy will disappear and fear and all kinds of other things will enter in. It's okay. Can you say that I'm sorry or I'm sad for a moment, but quickly the joy of the Lord returns in my life? Okay, really what I wanted to get to is how do we have the fullness of joy of the Lord? If you go back to John chapter 15, verse 11 again, you'll notice when the verse starts, he says these things first. He says, these things I have spoken to you so that my joy, this is Jesus speaking, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you, and that your joy could be made full. When you read that, it should trigger a thought in your head. What things? I've told you all these things that I've just said, that my joy may be in you and your joy might remain full. 
We need to look at the what things before. And for some of us, it might be a very familiar parable. Jesus in John chapter 15, starting in verse 1 through 10. It says this. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. That's the word. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and they cast them into the fire and they're burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you have much that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, if you can keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and I abide in his love. There's a little disagreement among theologians who study this stuff because one of the things they like to study is where was Jesus at and what was he doing when he gave this teaching? Well, we don't know for sure where he was at or what he was doing. But in all likelihood, wherever he was at, whatever they were doing, they could have been very near a vineyard. And for those people in that time, in that day, a vineyard was a common thing. So Jesus is going to make a point with something that's very common. You know, he might, have, he might have used a garden full of tomato plants if he wanted to talk to us, or maybe a cornfield or a soybean field. But here he talk, talked about something they would understand. And it's almost as if he's by a vineyard, and he says, You see, see the vineyard? I am the vine. My father, he is the vine dresser. He is the one that has planted, groomed, and growing this garden. And, and you're the branches. So that's the picture he's given, something that they all can connect with and relate to real, real quickly. And he says to them, it is in these things that I'm about to speak, or he has said, this is what I spoke, that there's this, this secret to having the joy of the Lord. He says, abide in me. Abide, what does it mean? It means to remain in, to stay in. To live a life dependent upon. It means to obey. It means to, to imitate his example. It means to constantly exercise faith. So I'm going to take just a few more minutes and I'm going to go through and look at a closer look at what it means to abide because that is the key to having the joy of the Lord in you. That your joy may be full. First of all, in verse 5, surrender. We need to surrender our lives to Him. Verse 5 makes it clear. Without Him, we can accomplish nothing. Now some of you might think it right away in the natural about some people who don't even acknowledge that Jesus exists and say, wow, look what all they have done. What all they have accomplished. Look at the material goods that they have. Look at the big house, the car. Look at how much fame they have or power. And God is calling all that nothing. 
because it's all going to burn. It's going to do them no good from an eternal perspective because they're not abiding in the vine. Worthless. What are some of the issues in our life that prevent us from surrendering fully to the Lord? It could be good things. Family, our job, hobby. It could be your talents. Friends. It can be church activities. All of those things can prevent us from surrendering to God because we start trying to do all these things in our own strength and we put them in front of God. A second thing we see besides surrender is dependence. The joy of the Lord is given to us when we depend in total, totally upon Him for all things. Third, verse 9. He says, continue in my love or rest in my love, or abide in my love, depending on what translation you're reading. But the bottom line is, it's a place of rest. Boy, as a Christian, isn't there a times where you sit back in your chair and you just exhale deeply and just... just want to rest. You're not physically tired, you're spiritually drained. There's a joy of the Lord that we can rest in continuously because it is abounding because it's abiding because it's so abundant we can rest in it you know think about this picture that he's as he's talking to these people about a vineyard what do the branches do when they need water nothing the vine waters them what do they need what do they do when they need nourishment to produce the fruit Nothing. The vine nourishes them. What do they do to produce that fruit so it's there at harvest time? Nothing. They just do what God has designed them to do as they abide in the vine. We worry about so many things. Now don't get me wrong, I'm not telling you to sit around in your duff and do nothing. God has given us talents, responsibilities. Things that we are to do in the natural. But it's all as we rest in Him. You can have a busy schedule and lots of things to do and all of a sudden worry and fear and anxiety all start coming at you. The joy of the Lord is disappearing quickly. You can have that same list of things to do, the same time constraints, and you know what? The joy of the Lord can be there. No worry, no anxiety, no fear. We're abiding in Him. And He'll give us the grace, the ability to do and accomplish. How would your life look differently? How would it feel differently if you truly rested and let the vine do all the work and worrying? If God worries, which I don't believe He does, He'd do it better than us anyway. We worry and worry and worry. And God is... Just try to really think about this for a second. If we're His children, He wants us to trust Him completely. The joy of the Lord is there for us. And we're worrying and fretting, getting anxious. And the guy who has made these promises to us is the guy that just spoke a word and everything existed. It makes no sense, does it? 
We need to remind ourselves who He is as we rest in it. Those of you that are familiar with Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, it talks about the fruit of the Holy Spirit. One attribute of the fruit of the Holy Spirit is joy. It's the Holy Spirit, the joy of the Lord in us. A fourth thing that abiding means is, and you want to write this one down, obedience. Obedience. When David lost his joy, it was because of sin in his life that he hadn't repented of. A life of disobedience is not going to be a life of the joy of the Lord. It won't work that way. In John 15, 10, it said, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. When David was in sin and out of relationship with the Father, his joy was gone. When he repented of his sin, his joy of his salvation was restored. John 14, 23 says this, Jesus answered and said to them, If anyone loves me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and will come to him and make our abode with him. He who does not love me doesn't keep my words, and the words which you hear is not mine, but the Father who has sent me. The joy of the Lord. As I was looking and studying this and praying about this, this this is the thought that captured my, 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 my attention, my mind more than anything else that I've shared so far. What specifically is the joy of Jesus? What gave Jesus great joy? Because I, until I understand that, I don't understand what that joy of the Lord is that's supposed to be in me. What did Jesus delight in? The joy of the Lord. The joy of Jesus was absolute self-surrender and self-sacrifice of Himself to His Father. The joy of doing what the Father had sent Him to do with His life. He said at times, I delight in my father, doing my Father's will. He said, I only speak what I hear the Father saying. I only do what I see the Father doing. The joy of the Lord. His joy was His obedience to the Father. Our joy is rooted in that. That's why when there's unrepentant sin in our life, our joy seeps away, disappears. Obedience. And the last thing I want to point out is the rejoicing. I want to read from Luke 10, verse 20. He had just sent out a bunch of the disciples and they came, all, came back all excited because even the demons listened to him and fled. And Jesus says, Nevertheless, don't rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice in this, that your names are recorded in heaven. You know what? If that's not the case, everything else I said today is a total waste of time for you to even listen to. Is your name written in heaven? 
How do I get my name written in heaven? I've heard there's this book called The Lamb's Book of Life, and I want my name to be in that book. Because that's the book that's going to determine whether I get to enter into the presence of God or I get to discover the lake of fire. Hell. I want my name to be in that book. That's what we rejoice in. That's where the joy of the Lord comes from. That's what the joy of our David's salvation, that's what it meant. His name is in the book. What do I have to do to get the name in the book? How much work? How good do I have to be? How many good deeds? Did I go to church often enough? Did I get baptized and confirmed? Did I help enough little old ladies across the road? None of that matters. There's only one way to get your name in the Lamb's Book of Life. Only one way. And that's to acknowledge that you're a sinner and that you deserved the lake of fire. There was a time for all of us, and for some of us in here, it's probably still the situation we're in, that we were headed to the lake of fire, eternal hell and damnation. I know I was, and I know you all were at one time. There's only one way to avoid it and get your name in that book, and that's to realize I am a sinner, the penalty for my sin is death, and I needed somebody to die in my place. And the Bible tells us that Jesus came as the Son of God and He lived a sinless life on earth so He's a perfect sacrifice and my sin and your sin nailed Him to the cross out of obedience to His Father, His joy. And until I accept the fact that He died for me and acknowledge that there's nothing I could do in my own strength, and turn and repent of my sin and turn away from it, and then surrender my life to Him, the lake of fire is my destination. But as soon as I have done that, my name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And then everything else I've talked about today matters. So I'm going to close in prayer. And then we're going to have a fellowship dinner. And somewhere in between those two, you're going to go get your kids if they're in the nursery or children's church. But the most important thing that you could ever do in your entire life, if you have never acknowledged that you're a sinner and need a Savior, and that Jesus is that Savior, and you want to receive the gift of salvation and surrender your life to Him, so your name's written in that book, the next few moments are historic for you. So let's pray. Father, I thank you that your desire is that the joy of the Lord is full in our lives. And I thank you that it is your desire as our Heavenly Father that not a single one of us in this place should ever experience the lake of fire. But Lord, you've given us a free will so that our love does mean something to you. Lord, if there be anyone here right now, I pray that you would reveal yourself to them in such a way that they would pray this prayer of repentance, acknowledging their sin, recognizing you as the only Savior, accepting your death and resurrection on their behalf, and surrender their life to you.
And Lord, I pray that as we live in this world, your grace is sufficient and that your mercies are new every day. So Lord, I pray you would help us in our weakness to abide in you. That we would remain in that place of humility knowing that we need you every moment of every day. I pray you would bless each of us as we seek you, surrender to you fresh and anew for your glory. And Lord, now I ask that you would watch over us, keep us, protect us, keep us safe, bless the food that we're about to eat here, that it would nourish our bodies. And Lord, I pray that as we would go out from this place today, we would go out with a fresh desire to be your ambassadors and that the joy of the Lord in us would be like an advertising neon sign drawing people to you. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.